a Bible today, let's open up to Nehemiah chapter 8. So if I, I could ask you guys this question, you know, my pastor used to ask me this question. What's the Lord been, you know, telling you? What, what's he been saying to you? And every once in a while, my pastor would pull me aside and he would just uh, ask me that question. And it's one of those questions where, you know, you can't make it up. You can't be like, well, um, this is what he's saying when in all reality he hasn't been speaking and you haven't been listening. You know, so what it did to me is it brought me to a place in my life where I, where I just really began to listen. Lord, what, what do you say? It reminds me of Samuel when Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. And God would speak to Samuel. The other day I was in a Bible college class and one of the, the parents came up afterwards and, uh, and she started asking me about Cambodia. Uh, she asked uh, when the next uh, missions trip to Cambodia was and, uh, and uh, it was just so funny because the, at the men's retreat, Joshua had approached me and, and asked about leading a trip to Cambodia next June. And so it's kind of cool how things started lining up. But um, this mom uh, started telling me this story about how her 20-year-old daughter had, had just been praying uh, about where to go as far as missions, what to do next. She's been in different places, but she really wanted to hear the voice of the Lord. And, and I can't tell you the whole story, but, but as time progressed and as the daughter was listening, she's only 20 years old, God just really began to speak to her about Cambodia. And so, you know, she uh, went to this place and, you know, she meets somebody from Cambodia and she goes over there and, you know, and then she starts listening to my son Aaron. I guess she has him in one of the classes and somehow he mentions Cambodia, which I don't think he normally does. And, and then over here, she runs into another person and then, and then she starts praying and praying and praying and God gives her a scripture. And next thing you know, she's got tears in her eyes and she's talking to her mom and she's saying, Mom, God is speaking to me. God is speaking to me, and he, he wants me to go to Cambodia. Can you talk to, to Manny? And, and when the mom's, you know, talking to me, I mean, she's, you know, just so emotionally moved as well. What, what happened? Well, what happened was God spoke, and there was someone who listened. And that's the way we're supposed to live our life. You know, I, I, I really encourage you guys, as you're studying God's Word, we have God's Word that's very general and broad, but we also have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church, and that's very personal. And so it's very important for us to listen, and once we get His marching orders, once God speaks to you, then obey. Sometimes people don't listen, so they don't even know what God is saying, and other times people do hear but they don't follow through. And so here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to touch a little bit on that. I'm, I'm sorry, we're not going to cover a lot of ground um, because chapter 9 is such an awesome chapter and I don't want to break into that without, you know, finishing it up. So we're only going to cover six verses. And so you're probably thinking, cool, man, he's going to end early tonight. Maybe, we'll see, but I doubt, I doubt it. <laughs> Nehemiah 8, look what it says in verse 13. It says, Now, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. 
And so we pick it up in the middle of the story. Uh, this is now the second day of what some have called a Bible conference. It's really interesting. They're in Jerusalem. If you study chapter 8, you might remember that the previous day they had called Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law, which would be the first five books of the Bible, and they read from it, the Bible says, from morning until midday. We read that in Nehemiah 8, 1 through 3. And so just imagine, they're just reading the Bible all day long, reading the Bible, six hours just reading the Bible, right? And so as they're reading and as they're teaching, a revival broke out. A revival broke out there in Jerusalem. And, and just real quick, I pray you guys would know the power of God's word. When there's the spirit of God illuminating the word of God to the child of God, there's a revival of God. You know, and it's cool to know that it's not complicated, it's not sophisticated. You don't have to go and get a degree and graduate from seminary to hear the voice of God. All you have to do is be open to the, the Spirit of God who's here teaching us and, and the Word of God. And as we, we dive in, the, the Bible talks about how He conceives a, a children of God, born of the water and the Spirit, or, you know, then you're growing. You're wondering, well, how can I grow? How can you grow as a Christian? How can you be more like Jesus? Well, you're open to the Spirit of God using the Word of God. And you watch what God will do in your life. This is exactly what was going on there. We're going to see there's so much here. When we get into the Feast of Tabernacles, we go to John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit, the way that it all works together, it's just so cool how the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to do a great work for God. You know, here they are. And, um, you know, as they're sharing the word, Ezra is there. He's reading it out loud. And then other teachers gather around. And what we find in Nehemiah 8 is they make sense of the scriptures. You know, and that's very important for us, you guys. It's not good when we don't understand what the scriptures mean, right? And so we read there. If you go back to Nehemiah 8, in verse 7, halfway through that passage, it says, And the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place, and so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. You know, there's probably some of you here, you're, maybe you're kind of new Christians, you know, and you might look at, and this book right here, especially mine, because I, I have huge you know, writing here. I've got a big old Bible, right? You might look at it and you think, well, I just don't understand that book. You know, I hear Christians talk about the Bible and it's supposed to be God's word, but I, I read it, I don't understand it. And it's because it's a spiritual book. But I, I promise you this, that if you open yourself up and you come to God and you say, Lord, I, I live in a land of lies, I want you to work in me. And, you know, so many things going on in this world, you know, and the, you got the media, you got the music, you got the agenda of, of the enemy, you know, how he just is breaking hearts, you know, of the young ladies, or sometimes we see these guys addicted to drugs or alcohol, living in sexual sin, getting to married, but then getting divorced and divorced and divorced and you know, just getting caught up in the materialism of this world and the things that the commercials, they tell you, if you buy this, then you'll get happy. If you drink that, you'll have a great time. And, you know, it's just, it's just a lie. No, you were made by God. He loves you. 
He loves you, and Jesus Christ died for you. And there is a life for us to live that is so good. It's so good, and we can make a difference to those out there on the other side of the world who don't have clean drinking water or they don't have food. You know, we can help people who are hurting. God wants to use our life. And so as you're reading the Bible, what ends up happening is you get an understanding of the life that God wants you to live. You know, don't be intimidated by it. You know, the Holy Spirit will teach you and your friends that that love the Lord, they'll teach you and together we'll understand what this book means. You want to know what this book is? It's a love letter from God to you. And he's saying, hey, I love you. The problem is you've sinned. You've separated yourself from me. But I I, I died for you. I, I want to reconcile you to myself. So all you have to do is make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. You turn from your sins. Get rid of those things that are not good for you anyways. And you trust in the Lord. And you watch what he'll do in your life. It's so cool when you follow the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. It's really, really all about Jesus. And so they're having this Bible conference. And the Levites are there instructing the people in the word. They're reading the book of the law. They're clearly explaining the meaning of what was being read. And they were helping the people understand each passage. And, you know, we're blessed in this church. We have many teachers. A lot of you guys know the word really well. Appointed and anointed by God, by the Spirit, you're teaching and you're explaining the word of God to your friends. And so they get the declaration and they get the interpretation. It's so cool when that happens. You can't remain an abstract book, you guys. It has to be relevant to us. In our heart of hearts, we need to know what it really means. You know, I mentioned last week that one of the key concepts of this chapter is to understand the scriptures. If you remember, in back in verse 2, if you look at verse 2, it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding. So this is on the first day of the, mo- of the seventh month. And then in verse 3, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate, from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand. If you go to verse 7, we saw that right there. The Levites helped the people to understand. And then if you go over to verse 8, so they distinctly read from the book and the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand. We see the same thing in verse 12. And all the people went their way, this is so cool, to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. That was last week. And then in verse 13, we pick it up. In verse 13, the second day, the heads of the fathers, houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. You know, you were made by God And you're not just a physical person. You're not just an earthling. You were made in the image of God. There's something inside of you that actually hungers after the word of God. And so when you hear it and you understand it, we saw about the joy that it brought to them. It will bless you. When the word of God is not understood, it says in Matthew 13 that the devil comes and he takes it away. And so for us, it's important to understand it. 
We read here in verse 13 that that's what they did on day two. And this time, though, in day two, verse 13, did you notice it says there that it was the heads of the father's houses of all the people? So now it's the leaders, right? And God is going to lead through the leaders. And so you have the declaration, you have the interpretation. But let me ask you guys a question. Is that enough? Is it enough to hear it and understand it? Is that enough? It's not, huh? Look what we read next. It says in verse 14, And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and, and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees, to make booths as it is written. And then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths. This is temporary shelters. Each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God and in the open squares of the water gate and the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. And so they read the Bible, they understood what it meant, and they did it. That's the beauty of it. That's the blessing of it. That's what will put a smile on your face and joy in your hearts. That's what will... That's what will make us glad when we go out and we live the word. In in verse 14 and 15, we see what they were commanded to do. They read the the Bible, and I don't know, maybe they were in Leviticus 23, uh, 33 through 43. It talks about the Feast of the Tabernacles, right? There would be the scroll, and they'd be reading it, right? And so they're reading it, and it says, well, you're supposed to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, And you're supposed to invite everyone to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And so that's exactly what the scriptures say. I wanted you guys, if it's cool with you, could we go there? Leviticus 23. In Leviticus 23, you have all the the different feasts of Israel, which is such a fascinating study And I know I'm not going to do it justice, but hopefully I will wet your whistle on this and get you interested in studying these feasts. But it says in Leviticus 23, 33, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And for seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. And so we're going to see it's a a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. The first day, don't do any customary work. And then if you read Numbers uh, 29, Verses 12 through 38, it's interesting. They tell you every single day 
what offering you would give to the Lord. It's really, really cool when you read it, right? And so imagine if you guys could for a second take in a week off from work. How many of you would like that? Thank you, Jesus. You know, I take a week off, man. The first one, no customary work. And then those days are coming and you're, you're offering those offerings. It's a sacred assembly. And then the eighth day, you do it again, no customary work. And then it says in verse 37, these are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, that's all the normal stuff, besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, here it is, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. And so for the Jews, their agrarian uh, society, they were farming. When they brought in their harvest, they would have this feast. And a lot of things are accomplished in this, you know. How many of you here get excited when you get paid? Just out of curiosity. You know, you're, usually it's hard for you to get out of bed, right? But then you're like, oh, today's payday, you know, and you kind of get up, right? You know, I mean, for them, it was kind of like that. Imagine if you would for a second, man, you're, you're, you're planting seeds and, you know, you're working hard and you're toiling at all that farming, and, you know, you're just praying that the rains come at the right time and the weather's right and that everything works out good. I mean, you were completely dependent on God. And then, praise God, everything worked out. And then the day came and you gathered in the harvest. See, that was the holiday that we're speaking of here. And there were other feast days when they would celebrate the harvest. This particular one was in the seventh month. And, and what we find is that, in one sense, it's like just thanking God. Thank you, Lord, for providing for me. Thank you, Lord, uh, for you know, allowing everything to go good. We had this harvest this year. And then there were three uh, holy days where they had to go to Jerusalem. This would be one of them. And so you would thank God for it, and then you would go and you would give to God what belongs to God. It's just amazing how it all worked together. And so you're, you're celebrating and you're doing all these things. And then what ends up happening is you're, you're grateful. That's one reason for the feast day. And then in, in verse 40, it says, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brooks, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. Here it is, and this is another reason. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord, your God. And so, you know, they have this feast day, you know, because they're thanking God for the provision. I mean, you guys like getting together with your family and doing barbecues? I mean, you guys like it, right? But you're like, man, it's only a few times a year on that certain Monday or perhaps maybe you have Thanksgiving, 
But imagine doing it for seven straight days. You would gain seven pounds like that, man. I'll tell you what, the Jews, God knows how to party. And I mean that in a good way, not a bad way. We don't need artificial substances. We have the joy of the Lord. The way that he has provided for us in seven days in a row, I mean, I tell you what, we should try that one day. I was thinking about that. We should do that one day because I'm learning this. Like when you go to a three-day conference and you're up there in the mountains with all the brothers worshiping the Lord or the sisters, isn't that cool? You know, and then, you know, you, whatever, you know, you go four days, five days, six days, seven days. I tell you what, by the time you're done, man, God will have spoken. It's all about the Lord. The holidays are holy days. They're unto the Lord. And what they are as well is they're reminders to us because we are a forgetful people. You know, the Lord said right there in verse 30, 43 that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, and, and it is so easy for us to forget how God has, has saved us, how God has worked in us, how God you know, died for us on the cross. You know, it's, it's amazing to me when you look at the history of Israel and how many we see that there was only a few times where they kept this feast. And as a result of that, they forgot. You know, they forgot what God had done. You guys remember, you, some of you here, have you studied your Bible? Maybe if you haven't, at least hopefully you've seen the Prince of Egypt. You guys know that whole story, right? Where the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the oven, out of the fiery furnace, he brought them out with an outstretched arm. How he saved us when we were dead in our sins. I mean, the work that God has done. And he brought them out. He divided the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness. And he provided for them for 40 years. They never lacked food. They never lacked, I mean, even their shoes. The Bible says that their, 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 song, their chanclas, they never wore out the whole time. Imagine that. I mean, for us, man, we got to get new shoes how often? You know, twice a year, right? And, and for them, for 40 years, God provided for them. Because if we're not faithful with these, I don't know, these days of remembrance, these holy days, uh, these times where we set apart and, and reflect upon what God has done for us, then not only will we forget, but our children will forget. And I always tell parents this, you know, because some of you guys here, you have a radical testimony. You know, you were a drug addict, you were a heroin addict, you were addicted to meth or whatever, porn. I mean, you were way out there. And God just supernaturally saved you. And so what a, a lot of times what can happen is we forget we don't share that testimony with our children. Our children don't really know what God has done in our life. And that, to me, you guys, that, that's wrong. We have, to, we have to share our story with them. Not, not the, you know, necessarily the, I don't know, to make it you know, look like you were such a, a bad person primarily, but primarily just to let them know what an awesome God that we have. Because the Jews failed to do this, and what ended up happening is there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. 
nor the works of the Lord. And so these holidays, they were actually intended for the people of God to be able to remember what God has done. I mean, in one sense, some people say this is a past, a present, and a future. The past is what God had done, how he had provided for them, you know, water, manna, everything they needed, the shelter that they needed, the cloud, everything, the fire. And then the present was the grain that they were taking in, and then all that was an exercise for the future, in that God is faithful, He's shown himself to be faithful. How many of you guys here, you've always had a place to live, huh? Even if you're homeless, right? God's always, man, he's taking care of you. Some of you here probably have never really been hungry. I mean really hungry. You're like, no, I'm hungry right now. No, I mean, I mean really hungry, where you went days without food or you didn't have water. God has provided for you. I think of all the different places that I live, to be honest with you. I think of uh, over there in, in Hayes or Medina Courts, over there by Garvey or living on some of the motels. I remember, you know, living in Downey, living in West Covina all my life. God has taken care of me. He's taking care of you. That's what this is, is all about. And it's so interesting when you go through all the feasts and at the end of the day what they mean, I don't know if we're going to have time to look at it or not, but it just blows your mind and how the Feast of Tabernacles eventually, it talks about how one day we're going to be home in heaven. You know, and I look forward to that day, man. No deodorant, no dental floss, all that kind of stuff. No more sin or suffering or sickness or death. You know, that's the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 16, look what it says in verse 13 of Deuteronomy 16. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter your male servant, your female servant, and Levi, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. So he's talking future. We've already seen past, coming out of Egypt, present, this is our harvest today. Now he's saying future. You know, one more passage in Deuteronomy. If you go to Deuteronomy 31, in verse 10, it says, And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing, which is exactly what Ezra did. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the strangers within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. You know, we gotta, we gotta make sure we don't forget. That's what kind of what holidays are. I mean, I know Christmas is not in the Bible. 
Christmas isn't, but I, I love Christmas. I thank God for that day, December 25th. Well, some will say, well, that wasn't the day Jesus was really born. And others will say, well, it's a pagan holiday. I, you know what? You can argue about that kind of stuff if you really want to. But for us as a church, we celebrate the day that Jesus Christ was born. And it's a holiday. Yeah, the world may make it all about the gifts and all about that stuff. I don't. My family doesn't. It is about the day that Jesus came, and we will never forget it. Thank God for this holiday. You know, and then you got Good Friday. We have Good Friday, and they call it Good Friday. It was good for us, but not for Jesus. Three o'clock, every, every Good Friday, three o'clock, I bow my head, and I thank the Lord for dying for me. Of course, we do it every, every, every day, but there's these holidays that... That in one sense, God knows how forgetful we are. And we need reminders. And remember, this is the day that Jesus died for us. And then there's Easter Sunday, you know, Resurrection Sunday. And again, that's the day we celebrate. And if you guys go to church service on that day, you know, 99 times out of 100, it's really joyful, huh? Because that's the day the Lord rose. He defeated death. He conquered the coffin. He gutted the grave. And because he lives, we will live. So these are, these are holiday. God knows we need little reminders. Oh, yeah, that's right. Imagine if we didn't have that. I tell you what, the world that we live in, I know how the world is that we live in, they would completely forget. I mean, you'd have pockets of people here and there that remember, but for the most part, they would forget. At least nowadays, you can go up to somebody in the mall and they're whatever, they got the Santa hat on, and at least you can go up to them and you say, hey, you know what this holiday is really all about? It's about when Jesus was born. You know, the Lord knows how we forget. That's why we have communion, right? The Lord says, you know, this is something that I want you to do perpetually. He institutes it because he says, do this in remembrance of me. Because a lot of times we forget. You see, that's, that's what this is. And, you know, I encourage you guys to celebrate, you know, what God has done you know, this is what they were commanded to do to, you know, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and to go out and tell everybody to come. They, they found out about it on the, on the second day of the month and it was supposed to be celebrated on the 15th day of the month. So they had about two weeks to get the word out and invite everybody. And so, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. And it's just so cool because, again, we see next that they did it. In verse 16 back in Nehemiah, it says, and then the people went out. And they brought them and they made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house. How many of you guys like to go camping? Out of curiosity. Have any of you guys ever camped in your backyard? That's, that's kind of like that. They would do that. I mean, these were booths. These were temporary shelters that they would make uh, out of leaves. They still do that today. And they would do it on their rooftops because in Israel, the rooftops are flat. I mean, they did it in different places, right? But, I mean, wouldn't that be fun? Come on, lighten up a little bit. You're like, I don't like camping. I go to hotels, right? That's fine, you know? But it would be fun. Your kids are fun. And they're, hey, Daddy, what's this all about? Well, let me read to you the story in the book of Exodus where God, our God, set us free. You know, I mean, I love the tangible ways that God chooses and uses to teach us these important lessons. 
And so they, they did it, man, and they made these temporary dwellings, and, and it's just so cool. You got the, the declaration, and then you got the interpretation, but then you got the application. One commentary said this, the sequence in chapter 8 is striking. First, the intellectual response, then the emotional response, and then the volitional response. So it hit the mind, and then it kind of hit the heart. Remember we were talking about how they were all happy? And then there was the volition. What that is is now where the rubber meets the road, where their will was yielded to God's will, and they did it. No matter how inconvenient it may have been or uncomfortable it may have been, you know, they did what God told them to do. You know, a lot of people, they go to church service, they don't really want to hear from God and do what God says. You know, you read Ezekiel 33. We don't have time to turn there. In verses 30 through 32, there were actually people there in service who had no intention to do what God told them. Same thing in Jeremiah chapter 42. You can read the whole chapter. And they came up to Jeremiah and they said, Hey, Jeremiah, you know, we want to do whatever God wants us to do. And should we go back to Egypt? You tell us. And whatever, you know, God tells you to tell us, we'll do it. And the whole, the whole chapter, it calls them a hypocrite. Because it said you never really intended on doing what God would command you to do through the prophet Jeremiah. Some people, they go not to learn to live, but they go for, for other reasons. That's why we're here. That's why we study the Bible. Not to get intellectual and not to get emotional, to get volitional. And we surrender our will to God's will. You want to know why? Because your life is not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. You were bought at a price. And so we don't get to choose really what to do I mean, we do, in one sense, we're all free. If you want to, you can go out there and do whatever you want. But the, the best thing to do is to find out what God wants you to do. Because I tell you what, you'll be happy, you'll be blessed, you'll be glad, you'll be joyful when you follow the Lord, right? I mean, understanding is vital, and obeying is even more vital. Interpretation must always be followed by application. Jesus said in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So it's cool to know them, but it's better to do them. Same thing in James, you read the same thing. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You know, some people, you know what they do? They're like, hey, I did so good today. Yeah, yeah, because I went to church. Yeah, I heard the study, right? It wasn't that good, but I went anyways, right? And he says, you know, you're deceiving yourself if you think that that's enough. He says, no, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So you come to church service or whatever, you're spending time with the Lord, you're reading your Bible, and you're looking at yourself, and you're like, man, my hair is all messed up. Like right now, my hair is all messed up, right? Or I got something in my teeth, or I got whatever, that there, and you look at it, and you, right here, the Lord says, hey, these are areas in your life that I'm dealing with, and you see it, but then you go away, and you forget. You're like, hey, let's go to King Taco, man, and... 
And then, you know, you go and you grab some grub, and next thing you know, you're aplastado there on the couch, and, and you're done, and you didn't do anything that God called you to do. Next day, you wake up, and you go along your merry way when God had spoken to you and shown you areas of your life that need to change. But you don't do it. That's exactly what James is talking about. He says he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he looks into the perfect law of liberty, he says, and continues in it. It's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. I don't know if you know how good God is, but he will blow your minds. He will blow your minds with blessings that you can't even hold in. You don't know what kind of marriage you have, what kind of life you'll have, what kind of provision you'll have, joy you'll have, all the good things that come from God. That's what blessings are when you do His will. And so for us, and that's, that's the, the end of the, 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 the lesson. Lord, teach me so that I can go out and I can live it. You know, the men, we went to the retreat recently and the, the theme was uh, watching and working, watching and working. Can I ask you guys who went, are you watching and working? If you're not watching and working, then why'd you go to the retreat? You're supposed to go and learn about watching and working. Watching means you're praying, you're, you're protecting your family. Working, serving, what are you doing? Well, I'm kind of, in, in a few days, man, weeks and years, and then one day you die and you didn't do nothing. Ladies, you're getting ready. The other day, the ladies had a study on Tuesday night. It was about forgiving. Forgiving. Let me ask you a question, ladies that were here. Have you forgiven? Yes or no? If not, why are you going to the study? Who do you need to forgive? If you haven't forgiven them, you're in trouble. I mean, that's why we come. We come to learn what do I need to do, and then you go out and do it. Right? If God says jump, what do we say? How high, right? And there's so many things we can talk about in the Bible. How God says to love and how God says to give and how God says to be meek and God says to, to seek Him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. All these things are things that we should be doing, right? It's all about obedience. Nate Saint, he was one of the five missionaries who were killed by the Alka Indians. And he once said that his life did not change until he came to grips with the idea that obedience is not an option. It's a die-cast decision. And we got to come to that place. Some of the, a lot of you here like, I want the Lord to work. I want revival. I want change. And God is just saying, okay, then come to that place in your life where I call the shots, where I am the Lord of your life. Yeah, we need to know God's direction is for God's protection. Because a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to do what God tells me to do because then I'm not going to have fun. Listen, he's trying to protect you and he will bless you with a whole bunch of fun and joy and stuff like that. But primarily, man, he's going to protect you. Remember I told you guys about the little boy who was riding his tricycle? How long has it been since he rode a tricycle? Riding a tricycle? He, he was riding it furiously. He was riding it around the block over and over again. So finally, a policeman stopped and asked him, hey, 
How come you keep riding your tricycle around and around the block? And the little boy said that he was running away from home. And so the policeman asked him, well, why, why do you keep running, riding around block and block? And the boy responded, it's because my mom said that I'm not allowed to cross the street. And so, <laughs> and so obedience will keep you close to those you love. Obedience will bring you protection. And so we read, and look at verse 17 again. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity, and they made booths, and they sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the day the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. And you might read this, and you might wait, hey, man, time out. Solomon celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, and so did the, the lead, those that were led under the first return by Zerubbabel, Ezra chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. But you know what he's saying right here? Is they hadn't celebrated it with such passion and zeal and enthusiasm and joy since Joshua. See, and maybe that's what God's calling us to now. He's saying, hey, you know, I know you do the same thing over and over and over again, but you know what? How about we do it with all our heart. God will take note. It will be amazing. We will, we will be glad uh, that, we, that we did. And so we read in verse 18, and also day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. And so they kept the feast uh, day after day. They're grubbing, they're celebrating, they're offering their offerings, and they're reading the Bible, right, every single day. And God does this amazing work. For us, it's so cool that we can stick to the scriptures, you know. And, and, you know, just in case you're here and you're one of those people who says, well, Manny, you know, I don't know about this revival thing, you know. Um, I mean, the revival didn't really bring Israel to the point of staying revived, right? So why is it that you kind of go and look for these types of things? And, you know, didn't the Jewish leaders eventually reject their Messiah when he came? And it's true. But the failure of the people is not an argument against special times of Bible study and celebration. Uh, someone once asked evangelist Billy Sunday if revivals lasted forever, and he said, no, neither does a bath, but it's good to do one every once in a while, you know. <laughs> and um, that, that's as a, as a general thing, but then I was thinking, but it can last forever in you. You know, if you're here today and you're like, Lord, I want a new start. I, I want to choose to follow Jesus Christ today wholeheartedly. Then I, I promise you this, that that revival can begin today and last forever and ever and ever. That's how good God is. You know, we don't have time to turn there, but let me just mention this in closing because we're talking about the Word of God and the Spirit of God, right? And how God does revivals through those instruments. But we can't forget the Son of God because in John chapter 7, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. You read that in chapter 7, verse 2. But then when you go down, it was the last day of the feast. Now what the Jews would do 
is they would, on the first seven days, they would take the water from the pool of Siloam. Okay, Siloam, it means scent. So they would take the water and they would uh, pour the water down the porch of Solomon. And you could see the stairs there. And every day they would do that. And the waters would flow down. And it was actually symbolic of when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they smote the rock and the water came. It was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming and, and quenching their thirst in a dry and deserted land. But on the, on the last day of the feast, they didn't pour the water. It's interesting. They didn't pour the water. And it was on the last day of the feast that Jesus goes up, and this is what he said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He says, and drink. And out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. And you wonder, well, why did he do it on the last day? Why didn't he do it on the other days? This is why. Because that symbolized the people going in to the promised land. It wasn't a rock smitten in the wilderness, per se. It was Jesus Christ himself fulfilling the law. And here's the thing, you know, I don't know if you're thirsty, and by that I mean inside of you. There might be a few of you here in all, in today that in all reality, you know, you're struggling, you're, you're dying inside, maybe something's going on. There might even be some here today that are struggling with addictions, because that's the world that we live in, that's the bodies that we live in. You might be struggling in your relationship, you might be struggling. Even some people, they get thoughts of, of taking their own life, suicide. You know, or you might be here and you're trying to fill your heart with all the things the world has to offer. And what the Lord is saying is that of that pool of Siloam, I've sent the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, it's not complicated. You don't have to necessarily get the water off the ground of the steps in the porch of Solomon. All you have to do is believe in me. You believe in me. It was so cool to be able to share that message with that young man today. So cool, the gospel is free. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so for us, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you can do it the first time. For those of you guys who are here and you do know the Lord, but you need a fresh filling, Ephesians 5.8, it talks about that. And do not be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, you guys, we would hunger and thirst for him.